You weren't expecting that, were you, Walter? Should we talk about the lions being real, Brandon? <laughs> They're definitely real now. <laughs> okay, but they weren't real in the Lion King. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to episode 112 of the Light Shed podcast. Walter Heisick, Richard Greenfield, Brandon Ross. There I was. Good. There I was. There I was in the Congo. <laughs> For those of you who are Gen Xers or perhaps older, you may recall that from a Bud Light commercial. We may or may not have that on later in the podcast, but it was basically a great Bud Light commercial where it was like they were doing a funny speed dates, and the guy's like, "There I was. There I was. There I was in the Congo." You know, we've never had a commercial interruption on our podcast, so maybe just like Netflix is breaking into new ideas, maybe we'll have a commercial interruption at some point. But we will never offer this podcast for complete freedom. (laughs) Yeah, no shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For for our podcast listeners, what you don't see right now is Brandon's in some type of a parka behind what he looks like almost like a pow somewhere um but behind <laughs> that is, is that zipper tent um there apparently are lions prancing about okay. all you may all you may hear on this podcast is the sounds of the crickets but apparently there are some lions that that have been battling about behind him so brandon i hope you get out of life i uh, i don't think anyone's ever gotten hurt in this place before never say never Just a- and I seem to be battling COVID despite having no symptoms. Oh, right. <laughs> I forgot you had COVID. You definitely don't seem like you have COVID, Rich. Dude, this is ridiculous. I literally have no symptoms and I have to quarantine for five days. Like, how ridiculous is that? I mean, you got to do what you got to do. I know. It's just so frustrating when you feel totally fine. These are the times we live in. The amazing thing about it is we before I left for Africa, we were all like I was trying to be so careful. I made us eat outside in the rain when we had dinner as a team. There was so much care being taken, Rich, and you didn't get COVID. Then you went to one and it was over. (laughs) And look at you now. I mean, I guess Not it's sick. good. I guess it's good to have it before traveling later in the year. I guess I don't know if it makes a difference. But well, you'll just does. get it again. Well, I know that's the that's the negative. So who the hell knows? I don't know. Such is life. Um, should we talk about um, what's going on over in Europe right now? Because we've got a lot of conferences this week. We've got VidCon in Anaheim. Uh, we've got uh, NFC NYC. I think I did that right in New York this week. And of course, NFC. As- NFT. N- sorry, NFT. <laughs> you know, I am thinking of. I, I, I am Jack far Goodell more excited about football. I am more excited about football than I am about NFT New York. Hmm. I thought you went to some good events. I went to one event that had 
you know, the reality is I probably, who knows, maybe I had COVID then I, I was testing negative, but who knows, oh um, but I was at an event this week. So who knows? <laughs> I mean, who knows? This is absurd now. Um, but it, you know, there are a tremendous number of events, but the event I'm really talking about is over in Europe where it really does seem a little disconnect from reality where we'll go to our first slide, but you know, we've got, um, as my background shows, we've got the Con Lions Festival where everyone is talking about advertising. It's the first Con Lion event in, in, you know, it's been canceled the last two years. And so there's tremendous interest in the advertising universe, but the only company anyone seems to be talking about is Netflix. The amount of leaks that have come out, and here we've got Amal Sharma from the Wall Street Journal, NBCU and Google are quote unquote front runners to partner with Netflix on creating an ad supported tier NBCU eyeing exclusive revenue sharing deal, minimum revenue guarantee would be an issue very early in Netflix's quest. And that is probably one of, we could have probably put on this brand in what you think, seven or eight different leaks that have come out in the last week of Netflix partnering with Magnite or Netflix partnering with Trade Desk. Like everything is being thrown against the wall. And it, it sort of feels like the ad industry, like this is like their great hope. Like they see everything from linear TV dying they haven't been able to access the gorilla in the room. <laughs> Did you? Even, you didn't Rich made it funny. I tried. I tried. I mean, I guess Very I could have used elephant too, but I, I thought gorilla. Yeah, elephant, elephants elephant in Africa. Work. Gorilla worked. Yeah. Yeah. It all worked. It all worked. So I mean, I, look, Rick. I mean, you're, t you're talking about making Netflix into a hybrid AVOD and if you're selling connected TV ads, there's a whole infrastructure that is built around that with different components to it. And they're going to partner with a bunch of different providers and that's it. So you're seeing rumors about uh, different parts of the ad stack right now. But I also think it's a sign of the linear ecosystem. You know, we already had weakness in viewership. We've been seeing sort of that collapse you're sort of losing pretty big reach because of all the cord cutting we're seeing. You know, obviously we're seeing Comcast and Charter lose more and more video subs, but then add on to it recession and you have even more like, yeah. hey, we need something. And the single biggest streaming platform outside of, you know, the only two things that are big, one is YouTube and the other is Netflix and you've never had access to it. And so I just feel like the, the disconnect. Yeah, but, I mean, what, it's important to also remember, though, what percent in, you know, maturity of Netflix sub subscribers are going to be ad supported? What do you I mean, think? The company is telling you 20. OK, so, I mean, it's it, there's meaningful dollars there, but it's, well, no, no, it's no, no, not not, not subscribers. 20 percent of they revenue. said 20 percent of revenue. Yeah, I mean. I think the point is revenue will be like 20%. And so, but okay. subscribers could be a meaningful number, right? It could be a big number. 20% ad supported on revenue. Right. Cause think about it. The ad supported subs still bring in yeah, sub revenue. The ARPU of subscription is going to be higher, but they're basically saying that over time, the ARPUs are going to converge. Sure. But remember, you still have subscription ARPU for the ad supported subs. So you're still at that like 80, 20 or 75, 25 towards subscription on a revenue basis. No, no, no. I, I understand. It's just there. there's real dollars there, but it's not going to be the savior. 
I will no, say uh, this, though. Oh, well, that, that's the most important point. The TV ad industry is not being saved by Netflix because there isn't a big enough number of ad volume to replace what you're losing. That is 100%, especially Ted made it sort of a comment that, like, expect a different sort of ad experience, which we assume means you're not seeing commercial interruptions. Oh, okay. Yeah. But who knows? I he, meant, he didn't say that. Ad unit perspective, you were saying that. Well, no, I mean, I think the, the number of ads per hour is not, I mean, there are, okay, what on linear TV, there's 30, 36 ads per hour. You're not getting 36 ads per hour on Netflix. Right. No, definitely not. I'm not even sure you're getting five I, or six. You don't on Hulu. Correct. Hulu, you're getting or, like eight or nine or minutes. Most, or mostly any AVOC. I got to say, watching an ad before or after a program or between six episodes that I may be binging, it's really, I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. I think people are wringing their hands about nothing. And in fact, it's, I think, so lack, or it's not intrusive enough that perhaps there's a bit of a risk that someone like myself would say, hey, I'm going to save a couple dollars and, and downgrade my plan. In order to get ad. Now, my question to you, Rich, is is the ad supported rate plan for a single stream only? Or as a multi-stream household like myself, will I will I be able to get a discount on ad supported? So there are two different theories that Reed and Ted are working on at Netflix. Uh, Reed Hastings, Ted Sarandos for our listeners, because I don't like to shortcut names, Walter. Well, it's just um, a media thing. It's a I, I know. Media thing. I know. So I'm I'm trying to stay away from that. I understand. I apologize. <laughs> so there's two different ideas. There are three current Netflix plans right now. They are debating: Does every subscription plan get an, a lower price ad tier, so you get six plans, or is the ad tier a low end tier of the existing three, so there's only four tiers? I would say know. that they should do the latter. So for our Netflix listeners, my suggestion would be you do the latter because you don't, I'm not going to, I'm going to maintain on my higher rate plan because I don't want my kids bouncing me off um, when they're on different streams. So may, just, just do it for the lower tier. See how that goes, saturate that market and then, and then see what happens next. That's my advice. We know that your advice for Netflix like trailers is generally prescient. So I'm they should listen to you. Well, they we'll should. See. We'll see. Take some, might take him a couple years. Next. Okay, hold on. So the next slide we've got. Are you okay, Brandon? Are you are you falling asleep? What time is it in in? Uh, it's not Africa? that late. Oh, Walter, okay, why don't you read about your favorite company, Apple? Is that malaria medicine like knocking you out? What what is the cocktail of choice in Africa? What are they? If you're going out, like what is the like, for example, when I was in Italy and I wanted to have a gin martini, it was like impossible to get someone to make a good gin martini. So I had to, I had to do a lot of Campari, different types of drinks. In Africa, no, I, what is the cocktail I mean, of choice? Into Africa, I know, but they I like they like to give you gin and tonic on the Ooh, afternoon. Oh, that's right, gin and tonics, right. brilliant, lovely. Okay, I I know you love gin and tonic. Can you bring back some craft gin for me? Perhaps one bottle oh, of craft. craft. Oh, they import it all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next. All right, Walter. Walter, you gotta go, to, Walter, you gotta go, go to Brooklyn for that, Walt. <laughs> There's better places to get craft gin than Brooklyn, I'm sure. <laughs> Although I have to tell you, I've been I've been getting in our oh, local gosh. groceries, our local grocery store. <laughs> there's a Brooklyn uh -oh. grown lettuce 
that it's high end. I know this is going to sound very floofy of me. I don't know how they're doing it, hydroponics, but it is fucking so delicious. If anyone is a, is a lettuce aficionado, lettuce? I will find the brand, but I know it's created and grown in Brooklyn, organic, all that and other stuff. And we all know how much you hate Brooklyn. So I'm not going to say I hate Brooklyn. I'm just going to say it's not necessarily somewhere identify I would identify with, but they make <laughs> wonderful lettuce. All right, next. What's our slide? Sorry, Rich. Jesus Christ. We're talking about lettuce. That has never happened. I know where Brandon's Brooklyn, in the bush. Brooklyn but... lettuce. John Orand, friend of, is he friend of Lightshed? I can't. Yeah, he okay, is. Friend of Lightshed. Sorry, knows. John. Sorry, John. Everyone ML- who listens to this podcast is our friend. This this was big news, by the way, that we missed last week for because Rich was calling lots of audibles, as many of you remembered. But what happened was MLS signed a deal with Apple. And the new deal will specifically give Apple exclusive rights to every MLS game. Um, somebody has the details, yada, yada, yada. So the, the, the interesting thing here is, um, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, it was fragmented before. I mean, it's, it's, it's a league that's not the most watched soccer league in the U.S. It's probably fourth or fifth most watched being the Mexican league. Um, soccer league epl's up there champions league's up there spanish is up there um it could set the stage for some more strategic things for mls but certainly very interesting from apple rich thoughts well i'd say two things one is we sort of made fun of i think well you didn't even want to talk about on the podcast when apple did their two friday night baseball games it was like yawn next you know two national games on a friday night like who the hell cares especially it's baseball this is the entire league. It is certainly a, you know, it's $250 million a year up from the last deal was 90. So Apple's putting much more meaningful yeah, dollars I, to work. Rick, the last, the last deal was like a 10 year deal also. Though. I, I, again, it was way off base and way old and MLS has changed and soccer is more interesting now as Walt is all it's up and, and coming. Climbed significantly since they cut that last deal across the board even for like secondary and tertiary leagues, but go on or sports. Well, I was just going to say, remember the reason that number isn't 700 or 600. Part of it is that it's not the having every game is exclusive to Apple, but Apple will allow games. I see sub licensed games out to local broadcast networks. So there'll be additional dollars that come to MLS through those sub licenses. Apple will be the only place where you can watch all the games. And interestingly, and this is the other thing I wanted to hit on, Okay, it like every sport, like, like there's there's low, I mean I guess the NFL isn't like Brandon, that. Don't don't you Although know that, for broadcast you always get your local team. First of all, Brandon, I'm looking at this a different way. I, this is but I need to explain myself. Okay. You have RSNs for three of the four leagues, is my point. Sure. But you couldn't watch your out-of-market RSN. This is every RSN effectively together on Apple. Like if you're Got a diehard okay. fan, you can watch every game on Apple TV+. Plus. That's the difference. You can't watch any sport completely the way this is, I don't think, that I know of, like this. No, you need two packages to do. So, so this is different. Correct. But you said that local markets were going to be sub-licensed. They will sublicense and simulcast, sublicense and simulcast, but it will, they will all be available on Apple. Understood. Sorry, Walt. No, that's okay. So I, I think isn't maybe the bigger picture here is you have kind of an up and coming league. 
it may enable them to structure something with a very popular league in the US, which is the Mexican league. It takes it global. And it's like, it's almost like a, a, a test case for what Apple can do with, you know, a sports league. And if it's successful, maybe others, you know, can think about ways to, 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 um, to go down this path and certainly helps Apple penetrate markets that may, might in some cases be more conducive to an Android user or, you know, using different types of, of TV interfaces. The last piece of this that's really important is that the, in the every game is only going to be available on a premium tier. And when, from what I can tell is they haven't decided is that premium tier an MLS only premium tier, or is there going to be a new Apple TV plus premium tier? So the core package, obviously $4.99 a month, will there be a premium tier that includes other things like a Sunday ticket I'll throw out? Like, could there be other things that are thrown into a premium tier that make a premium tier more viable than just MLS games? So we'll see. I have no idea. I don't think Apple's decided. I don't think there's any clarity on this, but it's just something everyone should be thinking about is Apple is clearly stepping into sports in a bigger way. Remember, Amazon started with simulcasting Thursday, and now they're spending a billion dollars on Thursday. So stay tuned. I don't think they're done. Go ahead, Walt. I just want to add, Brandon, go ahead. Sorry. No, I have nothing really. I was just going to say, reiterate the Sunday ticket thing and our belief as a group that they're going to get Sunday ticket, which will be, yeah, which will be, you know, the real cake. So I just want to annotate this, and I I apologize in advance for our Comcast, our loyal Comcast listeners, but this is not opinion. I'm just stating a fact that friends of Lightshed from Odyssey, um, they own and operate a channel in Philadelphia. Angelo Cataldi, he's retiring this year, but apparently last weekend, the Phillies we're going to have, this is a sport I do not watch anymore. So, and I'm not, I'm a Mets fan now, not a Phillies fan for, we don't need to go down those reasons, but I still listen to, to sports radio over Odyssey streaming. Yada, yada. Okay. The Phillies were about to have a five game sweep of an unknown team. And the, the, the people on this, on this uh, radio talk show were going off about, it was on Peacock. It was father's day. They had listeners calling in one after another. I couldn't find it. What is Peacock? And then when they finally got on Peacock, they had announcers that were like national announcers that were saying, I think, I guess a real real Muto used to be a good catcher, but now he sucks. And they didn't even know that he sucked anymore. And they were saying he was good, real. Yeah, whatever. But I guess he's not. My point is like, what is going on at Peacock? What is going on at Peacock? I share the frustration because of EPL and my challenges, but like what's going on with baseball on Peacock, Rich? And is this an issue with streaming or is this just poor execution by one company? Or does this portend what may happen with Apple in the future if they don't have the right announcers, alternative audio and all these things that are going to make it um, good? Um, There's investing, investing in the experience is a very big deal. Um, so you're saying it's execution and our expectation will be that Apple will execute better? I don't know. I don't think people have loved the announcing teams on Friday night for sure. Um, you know, clearly Amazon is investing pretty aggressively for Thursday night now that they're actually the producer of record. Uh, neither are not simulcasting anymore. But look, it, it's not just buying the rights, as, as you point out, Walt. I think it's an important point. Buying the rights is just step one. There's a lot, you know, r- remember when Verizon bought mobile rights? Like, just because you have mobile, right, doesn't fucking matter. Like, you, you got to have a great experience and market it. Like, there's a lot that goes into it. 
for people. I and mean, people didn't know it was there on Verizon. And we were very excited when Amazon, or at least I was, when Amazon got football for Thursday yep. nights because, oh, they're a tech company. They're going to invest. They're going to execute better. And the reality was that the execution just still isn't there in terms of, I mean, these, and what are, what are they doing now? They're, they're spending tons of money to pay announcers rather than providing technological solutions to broaden out the announcers and some of the views or whatever it is. Let's let's hold judgment. We haven't seen one Amazon football game yet. It's in September. Let's hold judgment. But I do think we should hold their feet to the fire. Is it going to be a an excellent experience? How is it going to be marketed? How well does it work, et cetera? But we'll this find is, out in me, September. But to me, this is another litmus test. When when you go back to your good luck bundle and good luck TV, <laughs> and then you look at where Netflix is now and, and what if these guys can't execute, maybe the broadcast TV has got you know, and and that existing structure, since they've been doing it for so long, that there's expertise that are just hard to replicate in a short period of time. Thoughts? Look, I remember going to a Paley Media Center conference where Eric Schmidt was on stage, and I stood up in front of the whole crowd, and I said, if you had the Super Bowl tomorrow, would it work? And, you know, he said on Google's, infra- this is probably five or six years ago, and he said on Google's infrastructure, it would. But you know, I think the question is, would it work on anyone else's? But this is not infra- This is not an infrastructure question. Let, we we can all agree, and, and this goes back to conversations we had with Rollup like l- more than five years ago. The technology is there. The question is, are you utilizing it? Um, to uh, are pro- you building for that type of concurrent latency? Are you creating new ways of delivering audio feeds and anything? Correct. Yes, and it's and it's not even equivalent. Right. In other words, like if you're if you're getting if you're putting shit announcers on there, you're not even giving me an equivalent experience, let alone what our hope was collectively was that the tech guys could give us something better. Well, look, we've raised the point, like, why don't you have different backgrounds? You you know what people are interested. Amazon knows what you in your shopping cart. Why can't the stadium, all the signs transform into what you're interested in? There's so much you can do when a digital feed. We'll see whether it happens. Okay. thank you for that diversion. Correct. Uh, I just want to add one quick thing to that, which is, uh, um, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, insofar as linear television is concerned, people watch and spend, you know, 40 plus hours a week in linear television. People do not spend 40 plus hours a week in any of these AVOD services or SVOD services. Except save, you know, Netflix for some people, right? Well, net- Netflix average view time is over two hours per day. So you're yeah, okay. obviously so you're at 14, 14, 15 hours per week. Yeah. Right. So people start their experience often within the cable ecosystem. So that is a, that is something to overcome for all of these um, new distributors. I mean, Brandon, I by that by that argument, wouldn't that mean that Comcast, with the Xfinity box, still has an opportunity to exploit that? If they're if they're forty hours within the Xfinity box, why not try and figure out a way to keep them within that ecosystem and build a better app system for all the different streaming things that are there to keep them going through the box? Yeah, I mean. I, I don't know if it's the hardware that's really the issue. I think it is it's just where your kind of your starting point is. I guess you could say now that the starting point is the 
you know, television operating system. Right. I'm right. Good. Yeah. Or the connected TV operating system. So Roku. So Apple TV. So Google TV, et cetera, et cetera. Let's move to another operating system play. We've got Mark Zuckerberg pitching the virtual reality or his metaverse vision. He was on Kramer. I haven't seen him do a, you know, sort of an interview like this. Obviously, Kramer is long the stock, so he was sort of not, he was certainly clearly biased in sort of the interview. In his charitable Uh, trust. He was, yes, exactly. But let's just listen to Mark on the metaverse, uh, make his sort of pitch uh, at at the start. Our North Star is that, you know, by the end of the decade, we hope to basically get to around a billion people in the metaverse doing hundreds of of dollars of commerce each, um, buying, you know, digital goods, digital content, different things to express themselves. So whether that's clothing for their avatar or different digital goods for their virtual home or or things to decorate their virtual conference room, um, utilities to be able to be more productive in in, in virtual and augmented reality and across the metaverse overall. So I think there's going to be a So he, he obviously is, um, I think the most interesting maybe part of that is he sort of talks about it's not just VR at the end. He kind of throws in AR, but. Yeah, I don't think he throw, threw it in. I mean, VR and AR. I mean, it's like when you talk about metaverse, it is not just AR or VR. It's also 2D. Okay, but why am I buying a virtual? Why am I buying things for my virtual conference room, or why am I buying virtual clothing for my avatar in an AR world? When I play video games, why do I buy virtual items? I mean, it's just an expansion of digital ownership from video games into, you know, everything across an expansion of the internet. So. So sit back. So I want. I want. Why, you're in Africa. Why would you're, you? Why would you think that wouldn't happen? Is more the question for me than why it would happen. Well, give me the you give me the example of how it actually happens. Well, you're in Zoom and you buy a fucking you know stupid hat to wear on your head as opposed to them giving yeah. it to you for free. Okay. Did you good? What? I, just, I, I don't I, I don't understand why it wouldn't happen if people spend more time in, you know, especially 3D interactive worlds. But you already have digital ownership. I know you're like everyone's down on crypto right now, but people own things that are digital that aren't physical. I'm 100 yeah, percent agreeing with both of you. So, I'm saying, yeah, why so am I going to do this on Facebook? That's the part Why I'm not? struggling with. I, I, don't, I mean, I think that you're going to be able to buy digital items across a lot of experiences and platforms and that that will be one of them. Yeah, I just I'm not sure. To me, it's very gaming centric. What did they do in booking? What are they going to do in bookings this year? If I buy sneakers because I saw an advertisement in Instagram, sure. If there's if there's some virtual version of Instagram that I'm in, and I'm going to buy something, like what's the difference? You're just buying digital shit in a different in in what they hope to be. They're going to have multiple. I would assume they would want multiple platforms. If I have WhatsApp, and I want to buy, you know, 
I don't know, some type of visualization within WhatsApp. Um, sure. Then that's I mean, they're talking that. about Horizon mostly, I think, but across the internet, digital ownership is just going to become more popular and there's going to be different ways that you can express yourself through digital items beyond just being in video games. And it's already started with, uh, you know, things like Roblox, which is, you know, kind of an extension um, or an evolution of video games, but also in crypto. I mean, how many people still, if you scroll through their, Twitter feeds have some kind of NFT as their profile pick. I mean, how about this, Rich? I, so Apple gets the Sunday ticket and they have a virtual version of watching a football game, but you have to buy a specific seat in the virtual stadium to, to get that angle of view for the football game. Um, you know, it's interesting. I think some people will do it. If it's a fully immersive headset where you have to sit for three hours, like with a Quest headset or the next version of the Quest headset, I mean, even the, you know, even the the new glasses that Facebook came out with, I forget, was it Ray-Bans, Brandon? Like, they still don't really feel like most people are going to use that. Not yet. But like I've said, for both VR and AR, we're waiting for the killer apps. So sure. that's that's basically a matter of two things. One is hardware distribution and two is incentivizing developers. And I think those things are intertwined. And I'm like, I'm not going to say now what the app ecosystem for either VR or AR is going to look like in five years before there's real time for development and there's hardware in enough people's hands. And hold on, let me just build on what, yeah. what Brandon said before you respond to it. Let's keep in mind. You are wearing an Oculus shirt, which is the irony of the whole conversation. Well, I did that. First of all, I did that on purpose. Just to be clear, that was on purpose. But there's yeah. also well, like respectable companies with large R&D budgets beyond Facebook that are doing this. I mean, obviously, Tim Cook speaks often about what they want to do with the AR aspect of it. So when you say the hardware and you're, you keep talking about Oculus, but you have no idea what, so is your whole mindset going to change if Apple drops some AR thing that we hadn't really conceptualized in our laps? Now, granted, let, let me caveat that in saying, you know, there's people that were predicting Apple's going to have a car and a television and a lot of shit, just because there's a lot of them, a lot of noise of them talking about it doesn't mean they're actually going to announce it, but certainly there's R and D dollars going to make this, so you can deal with something for more than three hours, Rich. They, they, they have heard your concerns. Why don't you just read Alex Heath's quote Alex first. Heath just said, this is the most direct I've seen Tim Cook on Apple doing an AR headset. Quote, stay tuned on what we have to offer. That doesn't mean anything. Was he being ironic there? Was he sarcastic? That's stupid. Because, sorry, Alex, we love you, but that's stupid. Because, like, Tim Cook Do says- Do we really love him? We do. He's great. He 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 gets a lot of good stories. How many how many different things has, has Tim Cook said? We're pulling the thread. We're pulling the thread. Like, where do you see this is the best? Or what's his name? Q's. Like, well, this is the best lineups we're going to have in a decade. That dude. Those words mean shit. Yes, they are developing on this. Yes, they're developing more on wireless um, wireless batteries. Yes, they're investing in autonomy. Yes, they're investing in cars. Yes, they're investing in. T it doesn't mean that it's gonna it's gonna materialize Absolutely. into a commercial product. Well, the last thing I would just add is I, I am a big believer that AR has utility for lots of consumers around the world. Great. I think Facebook does not have a definitive moat 
on AR. They do on VR. And I'm just not a believer outside of maybe some kids doing some gaming. I just don't believe VR is a compelling mass market product. I could be wrong, but that's just my gut belief. I mean, there's going to continue to be an evolution of VR. Headsets are going to get continue to get lighter. Fidelity is going to get better. Oh, maybe he does have COVID for real. Um, he I just coughed com- once. I coughed once. Leave me <laughs> alone. Lost my train of thought. As I, as I, um, there, no technology is going to continue to evolve, and I'm not. As of this moment, is VR compelling to me? No. Do I see a time in the future where some percent of our time is going to be spent in VR? Yeah. Why not? All right. I so, mean, Brandon, it, Brandon, on a recent podcast, you've been the one. Great job, proponent. How do we make money or lose money? And, and the reality is, if what you're saying is it's going to take time, then where yeah. where are we in the hype cycle of Facebook? Or do people already doubt it? Yeah. Or is or are we going to be are we going to hit that trough of disillusionment going forward until something truly develops on this? I think that the way people are valuing Facebook right now is to take like the VR investment the operating investment as a loss and people are valuing it on earnings and looking at earnings growth. So, 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 so we shouldn't bash them on it. We should look for the opportunity because if they're already effectively in the trough of disillusionment on VR, then it can only be upside. And to say that there's no possible way, even if we agree with you, Rich, that it's more likely, but if there is no the possibility that VR can generate tens, twenties, fifties, hundreds of millions of dollars of, of, revenue generation, it's upside to how people are perceiving Facebook today. The only question is, is the flip side is just how much is TikTok is kicking their ass? No, no, no. I I was two things here. On the core business. Yeah, that's the problem. two, Two things here. One is no one gives a shit about what metaverse looks like because it's not in the current investable time horizon as far as there being at least like meaningful to Facebook top line from that. Right now, everyone is also focused on the core business and the challenges that it is facing, such as TikTok, as you pointed out, Rich. So is Metaverse relevant to the stock right now? No, it's probably not. But as Walt points out, it is an upside option for sure for those who are very long-term investors. And and, and also on TikTok, like, what investor lives under the rock that they don't understand that TikTok is kicking their ass and Facebook is toast on the core business? Uh, there's a lot of people who sort of believe Reels is better, doing better than people think. Are I know. They, are, are they counting on the government to, to help them based on so, the, Some are. Some are. The, uh, I mean, I'm definitely, I'm, like, I'm definitely seeing more content creation with Reels among my peer group, not that my peer group <laughs> means shit because I'm old, but just, you know you what, know. for our, for our podcast listeners, if you go to your, um, to a child or your friend's child and you, you open up Apple and you go to settings and then you go to screen time and you go to activity, just take a look at the amount of time that these kids are spending on TikTok versus Insta or I mean, Facebook yeah. is non-existent. Everyone knows that. Okay. So like, I, again, so if Reels is so good, then why is, you know, why does that exist? I think, I mean, look, you can look at different segments also. It, and there's younger demos 
are okay. using TikTok. Older demos are using probably more Instagram. Okay, so cha- I, I'm going to challenge that. TikTok so go to your go to your capture the older demos time spent, right? And displace Instagram or not. So you have Instagram fighting back by playing with their playing with Facebook, playing with its algorithm, number one, and number two, introducing the reels format. I I hear you. And I don't have any Similar numbers. To, what happened now. I, and I don't have any numbers to back this up, but I'll stick with my with my even though I'm getting ads now, they're terrible for TikTok. And we can <laughs> talk about that later. My bias is still that TikTok is just better. And like, if you went to your, to a, even a friend's, like, forget kids, your friend's apps and looked at TikTok hours now versus a month ago or two months ago or three months ago, I don't think that that's been down. Maybe it's flat. I don't think it's no, down. It's, I don't think, I, think it's, I don't think anyone's saying that, that TikTok hours are down. You're just saying anywhere. Instagram may have moved up relative to something else. No, I'm just saying that like, what's the, it, like, what's the downside overall? Is Instagram going to be completely displaced? I mean, that's no, no, what we're no, talking. No, no, I'm with you. But my, my, but, no, I think we agree on the same thing. Is like, who doesn't know that TikTok has this type of power in the marketplace today? I mean, Mark Zuckerberg said it like 50 times no, on I a know. call. I, I agree with you. Yeah. Ago, so right. I don't. I, don't even know what let's the debate not, is. Let's stop arguing. Move on to T-Mobile. We're not no, arguing. We're I not think ar- we're agreeing. No, we were agreeing. We were arguing with you because with you, you. You, made the, <laughs> you made the you made the you made the statement that you don't you think investors still think that reels is better and like that they don't know that reels the is getting better. Yeah. I think they, they they are okay. We can move on. Okay, we okay, so T-Mobile. By the way, reels is getting better. Ad revenue related to reels is increasing and will continue to increase. That's I don't think really debatable. The question is, is it enough or not? <laughs> That's all. Just to frame it. Anyway, let's, let's move on. Let's move on. I want to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> that conversation just exhausted you. All right. So um, Jeff Moore, friend of Lightshed, tweets out T-Mobile store count. And he tracks this stuff. Wave 7 research for those that are looking for some data on the wireless industry. He said T-Mobile's store count bottomed out in late 2021 and grew during the first half of 2022. This is a new report that they have. They've been launching in many smaller markets and the closure of stores where there was an overlap with Sprint. So what's interesting is several years ago, I don't know if you remember this, but Mike Sievert, now the the CEO of T-Mobile, wrote this manifesto about like the importance of, of bricks and mortar. This is like pre-COVID. And at the time, we actually recommended T-Mobile back at that time. They were going to launch these stores. It was going to drive growth. And bottom line is like the growth just didn't materialize relative to the investment. Fast forward, whatever, three or four years, we've gone through COVID where everyone kind of agrees that work life has changed and how you buy shit has changed. And now, like going through this transition, and, and by the way, we've talked about an industry that doesn't have a lot of growth. They've decided to go back and start to add be positive on stores again. Like thoughts on this in terms of a retail strategy? How about e-com in general versus bricks and mortars? I mean, their their theory is I'm building in some rural markets, but this has been a this has been the mantra that T-Mobile has had for it feels like five or six years. I think as you keep talking about the problem is lack of differentiation now between all of these platforms and I don't know. It just seems like a lot of capital to spend when you don't really have some core differentiation. Like the networks all work pretty well. 
So which yeah, brings so us to marketing game, and part of the marketing game is boots on the ground. So or no, well, you're the expert. Yeah, I mean, part of it is, and and most iPhone purchases go through company stores, but that was pre-COVID, and you've already expanded. And then you contracted because you had all the Sprint stores. So like, to grow again, I don't know. Like it, to me, it's and you're going into a potential recession. So to me, and while there's inflation, so to me, the levers are increased price, which I'm not going to beat that dead horse. We've talked about that for the last three or four podcasts. And the next thing is you fucking cut costs, and this is going the opposite way. So what's what? But but rich. I want to pick up on what you just said, lack of differentiation. This week, friend of Lightshed, another friend, this is only, we only do Fred tweets now, Sasha <laughs> Shagan from, uh, I think he's PC See, Mac, Pete, no, PC, PC Mac. <laughs> Uh, of Mac. I was about to, I was about to say scene. No, we do have a friend of light shed at scene at Roger Chang. Um, we do. Anyway, so friend of CNET Google search PC mag basically got in cars, drove 10,000 miles in 30 cities. And they determined that T-Mobile has the best network and the speeds are good and the uploads and, and like, and they had a very interesting stat in terms of percentage of time, your phone is 25 megabits of download speed per second or megabits per second of download speed. Interesting T-Mobile, great network. But the question is like, which we've asked before, like do consumers give a shit? Because at the end of the day, like T-Mobile's share of gross additions has been in decline. And Rich, let me ask you a question. This is a quiz for you. If you've been paying attention to our, our, these little telecom breaks, who has seen the largest increase in share of gross ads over the past? AT&T. AT&T. Fuck Bell. yeah. I got it. And guess who And guess who showed up last, last place in this, this PC mag report? I'm going to guess it's AT&T. AT&T. And why is that? So the question is, like, does anyone give a fuck about your speed test? So let's see what just today, Jeff McKelfresh, um, COO of AT&T, had to say about deep spectrum positions and effectively he was talking about speed tests hit it let's Rich. go to the audio tape four years um, are we going to be behind on covered pops or spectrum depth with mid-band relative to our competitors yep we are we have been and guess what we've been winning why are we winning we're not winning because we don't have the most spectrum deployed i mean we're winning because we're focused on serving customers and I can't stress that enough. It drives the decisions that we make in our rate plans, in our distribution strategy, in our service centers, and our customers are telling us, keep doing what you're doing. Don't be distracted. Stay focused on this. This is working. And that, honestly, what I have to do uh, with my organization and the help of others is now demonstrate to you. You can cut it there. I mean, that's that's the point. And look, We'll see how this plays out. Verizon is deploying a ton of spectrum. Their speeds are going are getting faster. But but again, does the consumer do they differentiate between the networks? In the old days, it was Verizon. So yes, it's a great win for T-Mobile that they are perceived at a minimum at par with Verizon in terms of. But is this extra investment that Verizon's making and the T-Mobile has already or in the process of making matter? If the guy who hasn't done the same investments in the spectrum is their share of gross ads is going up. It's remarkable. Can I, can I he basically says we, we answer the phones, we help you out. That's why we're winning. Even does if it, our network I, isn't maybe just I, as good. Walt, what does matter? Can you tell me? I mean, that's a good question. I think when you have, if you go back to 
you know, when we were all in school, like if you don't have differentiation, then, and there's no challenger there because these guys are all protecting the base, you know, does it ultimately come down to someone coming and cutting price and, and saving you? It doesn't, so it's just, it's but, money. But, but the price has to be big enough and you have to know that you're going to get an equivalent experience in order to make that, to make that change. I think ultimately, but otherwise you just stick with what you it's got. Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe it was giving like giving away free phones, but again, that's just another form of price. And it's harder. I, for- I, I just don't understand what gets people to switch in this business. I mean, what would get you to switch? Huge price drop. Uh, probably not. Huge price drop. I would switch. Okay. The last time you had a huge price drop, you were, you were attracted to Altice, which was a price cut. And, and you that went didn't work out. out. That didn't work out so And in well. defense to Altice, it was the earliest days of the wireless, but it was a debacle in terms of the customer care. Second second example, Sprint, massive price increase. That didn't work because their network was absolute dog shit. I mean, massive decrease. 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 Price cut. Yeah. yeah. Basically, they it's gave you a free year of service and they couldn't get, sorry, decrease. They couldn't get customers. But now if the perception is the network is, is different, a, theoretically, a price cut would work. But why would you not do that? Why? Because- You've had a merger where T-Mobile's got a ton of customers, so it would negatively impact them. The same reason why the legacy oligopolis wouldn't cut price because they they would risk you know reducing their base. They're more likely, and and what they're showing that they're doing is to increase price and take the risk of some incremental churn than they are to, to do the opposite, cut price for subscriber growth. Can I ask a question? And again, an ignorant question: Are all the networks quote good enough now? that there really is no differentiation between them. I mean, and it doesn't matter at 95% anyway, and the last 5% just doesn't matter. So the question is just right. The question question is when you're using your cell phone for the stuff you're using for your cell phone, I forget what the numbers were exactly for PC mag, but let's say AT&T's down average download speed was like 80 megabits Mm -hmm. and T-Mobile is like 150. Does that matter? Probably not. Okay. Second thing that they they wouldn't notice it. Okay, but let's say the other thing they measured is percentage of time that you're getting at least 25 megabits per second download speed. So that's probably important. So AT&T was at like 72% of the time and T-Mobile was 81% of the time. So 70%, so the number of times you, you're trying to watch a video and, and seven out of 10 times, you have enough bandwidth where you have no shutter. And for T-Mobile, it's eight out of 10 times. Is that enough? Is that enough to switch? At the same price, or maybe even to get a discount if you're on T-Mobile, it doesn't. I don't. Seem- I would know that one's better or not better, right? In a given location, at a given time. Yeah, how would you know? Exactly. I mean, it's all. I mean, it's just and marketing. Then, and, and, and then when you layer on commodity, right. that's then, the that's what I'm saying. Right, but on the flip side, you layer on the fact that 80 percent of postpaid customers are on family plans, so that for you to switch. Maybe your daughter is, is on a phone payment plan. You got to pay that off. You got to unlock the phone. It, you know, it's just a pain in the ass to switch. And then for, so if you're going to go through that hassle to switch, it's not as bad as the, the old broadband, like where you have to like return your cable boxes, but like, it's pretty close in terms of annoying. So if for you to go through that hassle for what, to go from 72 to 82% on your <laughs> download speeds, or if to get from that 80 megabits to 150. You don't even know that 172 and 182 because no real consumer actually does the research anymore. Right. Okay, let's just move on. Brandon, you want to tee up 
Vince. Okay, so following the allegations against Vince, which the board of WWE is doing an investigation on, Vince went on SmackDown last Friday night, shortly after um, we recorded our podcast. And um, I believe this is a clip that Mark cut from Friday night SmackDown and Vince coming on and talking and the crowd reaction. It is a privilege, as always, to stand before you here tonight, the WWE Universe. Especially a privilege to stand here in this ring in Minnesota. I'm here simply to remind you of the four words we just saw and what we call the WWE signature. Those four words are then, now, forever, and the most important word is together. Welcome to SmackDown! I mean, the crowd, Vince's appearance, clearly defiant, the crowd loving him more than it seems like they have in a while. Um, on the back of these allegations and the investigation, the whole thing actually, you know, and we could debate like how bad what he did was. And, you know, that's irrelevant. The whole thing, it does kind of remind me of, of Trump again, in a lot of ways where he does something wrong. His base is defiant about it and he becomes even more popular than ever. And that's it. And you saw that SmackDown ratings were through the roof on Friday. Raw ratings were up significantly on Monday. And this whole issue is actually now a tailwind for WWE. Question is, like, how does the board come out? Stephanie is. In I was there. just going to I was just going to say a board of directors is a bit different than Congress or the Senate in a trial. OK. But I mean, what's what's going to happen here? I don't know. I think it depends on whether this is isolated or there's more to this. That's probably okay. what matters. Even if the board, even if the board kicks him out, right from from being CEO of WWE, but he's still like chief creative officer, or whatever, and Stephanie becomes, you know, co CEO with Nick, and there's still the family ownership. Does it really matter? Um, does Stephanie really want to do this job? She's interim. She just oh, stepped away. It, I don't think. Look, I think there's a lot of moving pieces. Would really be doing it or would Vince be doing it behind the scenes? There's a lot of open questions. Um, to be continued. Right? All I know is yeah, that was phenomenal on Friday is. night. I yeah, think- I mean, and go ahead, Walt. No, no, I was just going to interject it. I think if you're a crisis manager in 2022, basically, if you need to generate support for your clients, you should have your client do something bad because that's what gets people behind them. Like just do bad behavior. And then everyone's gonna be like, Oh, they're getting attacked. It's fake. And then like, you know, that's how you generate support in 2022. (laughs) I I think in certain parts of the country, things go too far one way in certain parts of the country, they go too far the other way. And you know, it is what it is. So um, we keep, beating up this topic of direct-to-consumer sports. Bally's, uh, after Nesson did it at $30 a month a few weeks ago on the podcast, 
The streamable has a story. Bally Sports is going to soft launch in five markets this morning. So that was earlier this week. $20 a month or $190 a year so that you can watch um, the Brewers, the Marlins, the Tigers, the Royals, or the Rays on a bunch of devices. Uh, those are the only five markets where Bally's has baseball coverage. The other markets, they only have basketball and hockey. I don't know. I don't get it. Um, I don't know who the consumer is who says, I don't need ESPN. I don't need Fox Sports. I don't need all this other stuff, but I just need Bally Sports at $20 a month. It boggles my mind. And, and the reason we have this on the same slide for our viewers um, is that we also have ESPN. Jimmy Pitara was in, was interviewed by Richard Deech's podcast, Sports Media. And we have a clip of Pitara when he was asked about ESPN, what ESPN will look like in 2027. So let's listen, because he talks about sort of what might happen with D2C or not. What would an ideal ESPN look like in 2027? The reason you don't have a date on what I think you're, you're referring to, flagship, direct-to-consumer, is because we don't have one. Right. It's that simple. We don't have one. I, I, would, I would say I can't talk about that if I couldn't talk about it, but it existed. We don't have a date. And the reason why we don't have a date is because these parallel paths that you're referring to are going quite well for us today. Yes, the traditional ecosystem has been very valuable to us and today remains very valuable to us. At the same time, we are investing in direct-to-consumer, ESPN+. And I think on the last earnings call, we announced 22.3 million subs. That's significantly ahead of where we thought we would be at this point. So the rights that we're acquiring for Plus, the content that we're creating for Plus, the library that we've accumulated. Okay, I'm tired of listening to him. He's not going to give us an answer. The math doesn't work. They don't know how to do what Bally's is doing. And so the concept is ESPN still can't figure out the math. It's very hard to see how this could possibly be good for Bally's if ESPN can't figure it out, honestly. Well, I mean, and we keep a couple of things. One is on the ESPN side, this is completely on message for everything that they have been saying right? Even on, on public earnings calls. So that's number one. Um, number two, insofar as the RSNs are concerned, we have continuously said that until ESPN makes a move, no one's really going to um, take the RSNs a la carte. It's only if both are available and it is, um, whatchamacallit, it is uh, a better price than taking the, uh, the bundle. That's it. Um, okay. I mean, look, I just think it's funny that Bally's is doing that. You know, I just think it's weird. Your comment is it doesn't make sense until ESPN is do it. And yet Bally's is doing it even beforehand. So I don't know, just good luck to our good Let's friends. At Sinclair. I think all of us on this <laughs> uh, podcast are extremely skeptical. About I can't wait to see the sub numbers. I just want to see the sub numbers. I cannot wait to did, see. Them. Didn't Nezen try sure and run like a ten dollar or twenty dollar? Thirty, month, thirty, right? thirty. So maybe they're just comping to Ness Nezen or whatever. It's however you pronounce it. Next, fanatics. Well, at least they're building the infrastructure. If that day ever comes, I don't think whatever. I should read this slide because it's the two of you that are passionate about. The Sixers. So why don't you have your sad moment? Whoever wants to take it. it. Daniel Ravel says, breaking, Michael Rubin is selling his stake about 10% in uh, the Sixers and Devils, HBSA, to pave way for Fanatics betting operations. With Rubin as owner, Fanatics wouldn't be able to take bets on teams. 
And then the second tweet here is one day after Fanatic CEO Michael Rubin announced the planned divestiture of his stake in the parent company that owns the Sixers and Devils. Um, the following is it, it was quote tweeting this: the Maryland lottery gives. Well, this is just the the quote tweet of it. But the point is, the minute literally the minute Michael's stake is being sold, they're entering betting, and you know Matt King, friend of Light Shed. Um, who was at FanDuel now is running sports betting or was running sports betting for the last, whatever, nine months at Fanatics with no sports betting business. We always knew this was coming, Brandon. It was just a matter of when. Yeah. I mean, we didn't know Ruben was going to have to resign. That sucks because I think as a Sixers fan, I think he's close um, with Embiid. And I would hate for JoJo to be unhappy. Go to Miami and head to Miami to to play with Jimmy. Um, but it sounded like from reading his posting about what was happening, he's still going to be, I, he won't be an owner and name, but he's going to be sitting there every game and, you know, and uh, continuing to be a, at least a very super fan and speaking supporter. Of, of speaking of Joel and playing in Miami, how, how have the yeah. ratings, how have the ratings been for, uh, for, I guess these hockey finals, because, you know, in my view, the hockey basketball or the basketball hockey, because the basketball was great. And you had I thought, as I said before, the Celtics were a great team to watch. Miami was a great team to watch. I think the Rangers, at least within my like everyone was excited about the Rangers. And then they yeah. dropped out. That series I, kicked ass in terms of ratings. I haven't. Obviously, I've been here um, watching like lions kill things. So. But how but have, how have the ratings been for the NHL finals? Because it feels like after the Rangers dropped out, there hasn't been much interest. I mean, I wish I could watch these finals. It was an intriguing matchup to me. It's 3-1 now. I doubt it's doing that well. Uh, Tampa versus Colorado, despite them being both awesome teams. But I have no idea. Um, we'll try to get it if we have it in a second. But let's just move on because we've got... Um, you know, we've got Netflix. This is from a, I think this was a Wall Street Journal story. We couldn't find a tweet on it, but we've got a Wall Street Journal story because obviously we had a lot of we we pushed back on all of these stories about Netflix buying Roku. We understood the advertising logic, but we didn't understand why they'd want to own a hardware device. And he was asked sort of point blank about the need to own hardware. Um, and literally, the quote from Ted Sarandos earlier today in Con was, "quote We don't need it." Uh, hopefully, that puts to rest. Um, the fact that um, Netflix is buying Roku, they could certainly work with Roku, as Brandon was talking well, what about. What if they want it? And don't, what if they? I mean, you know, I believe that that deal's never happening. But I mean, just saying we don't need it doesn't mean they don't want it. I'm just yeah. being a very much a devil's advocate. I don't think that deal ever happens. Next, well, hold on. Look, Before you say next, let's just point out oh, that Professor Professor, Ga- Professor Galloway once again has done an excellent job at predicting. <laughs> the opposite of what would happen. Your ass. Yes. Next. Um, I would be very surprised. Okay, let's go to a little um, Walt Pisic Telecom predictions slide. Well, there. This is the yin and the yang, the positive, the <laughs> negative, the win and the loss. Um, I got my big loss on the left, where I thought that, based on facts and my belief in our court system that Dish was going to get $3 billion of Spectrum returned to it um, because of this auction like from 2015. That was wrong. The courts ruled against them. 
Now Dish is in a situation where, I mean, there, there's still some um, processes they can go through, but at some point, if the government re-auctioned the spectrum and they can't sell it for more than $3 billion, then Dish is going to be on the hook for the difference. They can bid on it themselves, but couldn't believe it, but that was, that was the result. We were 100% wrong on that. Conversely, um, in our top 22 for 22 picks, we did say that T-Mobile would, in fact... Um, basically renegotiate with Dish and Cave because of the revenue that they were going to lose to AT&T. The issue here was Dish pays T-Mobile for the use of the network. They were basically a reseller. Dish was going to take that traffic to AT&T. Mike Sievert, the CEO of T-Mobile, was like, oh, we expected that to go to zero. And I'm like, yeah, sure you did. And then like, they basically came back, cut price, gave them a very important technological fix on it and caved on the deal. So, and that was approved by the DOJ today. So that's a that's a good win for T-Mobile because they got some revenue back. Huge win for Dish. Now they have two networks that they can they can use. They got a re-rating immediately, even dating back to January from T-Mobile. So positive call. We can check the box on one of our top 22 for 22, but a call that I made from a couple of years ago turned out to be dead wrong on the on the designated entities. We can't get them all right. Next. Um, Oops, kidding. <laughs> uh, more than 50% is not a bad batting average. But Brandon, uh, I know you're you're missing out on a lot of music in New York City this week, although I'm sure uh, wow. I'm, I'm sure, you know, I forget who, who performed um, some famous DJ performed. I, I left before it even happened, Where? but at the party I went to the other night and then whoever. Uh, what party some, was it? I went to the sandbox party on Tuesday cool. night or Monday night. I can't remember at oh, this yeah. point. Who did perform? I actually read who performed. Yeah, there was a famous know. DJ that I, I left way before that happened. I, I went for the early part. I was the I'm old. Generally person, sad that I'm missing all these parties this week. Um, but, but why don't you just read I, these last two? Because I think at least I'm one of these sad. you liked a lot. Well, I'm most sad that I missed. Um, the board ape yacht club party at pier 17. Not that I own <laughs> an ape. So I wouldn't have been invited unless an ape owner did invite me. Duh. Um, but LCD sound system played. So um, good get, I guess. I mean, if you spent whatever, a couple hundred I, thousand dollars. I, I, I do have a ape, picture from the party though. LCD pretty cool how about how's my picture from the party it was a sandbox playboy party at nft nfc week nft week i can't say it what? nft nyc playboy one also i forgot yeah. about that so that was that this is for you brandon rachel um, Weber, who runs who runs brand strategy and as a friend of light shed used to you work as a bunny i don't understand me as a bunny yes that's me as a bunny yeah you have rabbit ears on your head i do and I wore my show me your NFT t-shirt. Wonderful. Um, all right. Let's hit the music. Um, Mark just chimed in while you hit the music, which I believe I is an LCD sound system choice. It is. When Hold you on one second. I, I'm going to hit the music. Relax. We're going to hit the outro music. Anyway, this is a good song, so I'm kind of sad we wasted it on a... Uh, on an ending rather than using it as a pump-up beginning, but we never do repeat songs, as you know, ever. There's a lot of um, songs out there. 
market, there sure are. Mark chimed in and said the NHL's first three games are up 4% versus 2019. Not terribly exciting, but better than down. Yeah, obviously. Is this the song? There's also, there's also, <laughs> this is, is it, what is, what is, what is, what is going is the, on? Uh, I have no idea, Walt. This is not no. my pick. I, is I don't get the music. The sort of like a tension and release situation. Are you sure that there's not something fucked up with the connection here? This is no, this song? is a record player skipping. This is the song. This is. No, this, this is, is how we're intro. ending the podcast. This is how we're ending the podcast. This is terrible. What is this? <laughs> Mark this Kelly chimes in. Good. I'll support Brandon. I love this song too. Thank oh you. Oh my God. This is Let's like just play the whole song. Well, by the way, <laughs> here's the thing, Walt. I think I was hazed by a song that was similar to this. Just repetitive. <laughs> if Rich had played that intro while we were speaking and we spoke uh, over it. Here, here is my, it's always my fault. It's always my fault. Duh. Okay, Brandon, said, Brandon, you have a couple days left in Africa. Go enjoy them. Thanks for jumping on. We're amazed that it worked. Get the hell out of here and go see your wife. He's sleeping. That's episode 112, everyone. <laughs>